All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Loopcast. Got a, a nice Monday morning episode for you. Monday at noon, always, we will be here. Shout out to Daniel Peters first in chat. Uh, respect that. Erica made a request. She wanted to start the show off with a specific uh, image and post from the Babylon Bee. That post is DeSantis says he will try running again when he is a senile 75-year-old. Unfortunately, that, that is some humor, but uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, Governor of Florida, has dropped out of the presidential race shuttering his campaign it looks like and nikki haley did say this is going to be a two-man race uh that might be wishful thinking but it looks like there really are two only options here in the republican primary uh, erica josh new surprise you guys did you guys see this one coming was not a surprise i guess the surprising factor for me was the timing we talked we talked last week at length about you know desantis will probably hang in there to at least pass south carolina so he can whoop nikki haley on her home turf but was not to be. He stepped He stepped down. I have to say, I'm handing it to him. My estimation of him was already pretty high, and my respect just went higher because I think he saw, saw the writing on the wall. Very classy exit speech. He did endorse Donald Trump. And uh, yeah, I think the message is like, look, we got we to gotta all pull together. We've got to unite because the priority is defeating Joe Biden or crooked Joe Biden, as Trump likes to call him. So that was first takes there. Little surprised on the early timing. That's about it. I did see that Trump uh, did put to rest the disanctimonious nickname. I got a good chuckle out he of that. Retired. He's retired. <laughs> I think it was the first time I've heard him address DeSantis with the proper name in over a year. So it was kind of refreshing. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I thought Trump could have done better. That yeah, was not like his best work. It was mid-range, you know, nickname yeah. as, as far as they go. But um, I guess I was a little surprised at the timing, but it was the smartest play for him because there was an outside chance that DeSantis would get like 10% in the New Hampshire primary uh, because it's a two-person contest, even if he had stayed in. It's quite, you know, I would have suspect that Trump would have got about 55%, Nikki getting like 40, and there's not much left over. I mean, he might have, you could be, you, DeSantis was facing single digits possibility in New Hampshire, and you know, even if you said, well, I wasn't really campaigning that hard for it and I'm going to do better in South Carolina. Uh, I agree with him. There was no there was no real shot at victory. And now you you have a situation where I think Trump will win by 15, 20 points in New Hampshire. And Nikki Haley faces the prospect of going into South Carolina where she was governor. And losing by 40 points to Donald Trump in that state. Is that you think that's a nail in the coffin if she loses in loses in South Carolina? I mean, obviously it's over. The question 100%. is if if she can't win in New Hampshire with a bunch of independents and Democrats crossing over and voting for her, how is she going to win in South Carolina, which has a lot more conservative voters? And I, if I were Nikki, obviously I would quit after New Hampshire, realizing oh, I was hoping I could defeat Trump here and use that as momentum for South Carolina. The problem is she faces the embarrassment of losing in her home state of South Carolina. And I think, I don't know, I said 40 points. I mean, maybe it's only 25 points, but it would it would be embarrassing no matter what. And so, um, I mean, the race is functionally, I think, over. It's just it has to play itself out a little bit again. So, um, yeah, I think Ron DeSantis made the right the right call. It's kind of a bummer because I mean, I'm in Michigan. It's like the fourth state to vote and it's like, Oh, it's already over. It's like, okay. <laughs> you don't get to be a part of the fun. You don't yeah. care. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, it's, you know, yeah. But yeah, especially, I mean, and he's done such a great job as governor of Florida. I, I'm just personally looking forward to now moving the sites to defeat Joe Biden here. It just feels like a lot of the differences that we've had uh, on the Republican side of the aisle are minor and, the obviously the major differences are with the Democrats and what they kind of see as the vision and Joe Biden, obviously. So if we can all kind of get back to picking apart real problems that we see in the country, instead of arguing over some minutia about, well, you know, I mean, I, let me say it this way. Pr uh, presidential primaries can be very nasty things. And I see a lot of guys who back Trump, who are saying, boy, online supporters of Ron DeSantis were nasty and mean. And I'm like, really, <laughs> <laughs> really? Look in the mirror, um, Doc. Yes, <laughs> yes, some of them were. And you know what? A lot of the Trump guys were too. Uh, you know, and there were some people who are classy that support each candidate. They're like, I hey, I respect differences of opinion, but were there people throwing mud on both sides? 
both sides. There were Trump fans throwing mud at the Santos guys, and then they pretend like they're. Well, I can't believe we're getting this treatment. I mean, right, so well, politics isn't being big, you know. Let's, let's get into the more interesting conversation now, though. I think uh, VP, we we did title this Veep Stakes. Uh, Erica, we have in the the notes doc. Let's allow Erica to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that is a friendly reminder that we need often. Go, uh, Erica. Wipe that have... smirk off your face, Mercer. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, yeah, lady. Josh, go first. Josh, best behavior today. Best behavior today. Uh, Erica, though, you saw the Donald Trump or Donald Trump Jr. speech on Don Newsmax, Jr. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thrown for a loop there. Uh, what do you think is going on in terms of the VP race and what, what he's maybe thinking about for who he would choose to run with him? Right. So Don Jr. went on Newsmax this past weekend. And of course, he was asked, like, is your dad going to pick? Who's he going to pick for VP? Your dad listens to you. And so he threw out all these names. He threw the big one, of course, was Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. Uh, he also mentioned J.D. Vance uh, came up a couple of times. Vivek, of course. The interviewer mentioned Ben Carson, less enthusiastic from Don Jr. there. But he was he was kind of gunning for Tucker Carlson there. And I, I don't. I don't see Trump picking someone with a personality that can compete with him. And it's hard to, again, Trump is so unpredictable in so many ways, at least to me, he is kind of a black box. So who knows? But for me, that personality that Tucker brings and just the fame would be a real turnoff for the way that Trump sees himself, I believe. Um, same with Vivek. I, I like Vivek. I liked his message. Uh, I liked the way he campaigned. I would rather see him as, we've talked about this internally, as press secretary. Wouldn't that be great to have White House press briefs with Vivek talking to the White House press corps. I would love to watch that for four years. I would just watch okay. popcorn. <laughs> Can I Your thoughts, Josh. One, one thought? Well, just one. If, if, Vivek, uh, if Vivek were the vice presidential nominee, though, you get to see him debate Kamala Harris in the oh. vice presidential. Oh, don't debate. tease me. I just got really excited. <laughs> that would be so fun. <laughs> and here's another thing. He spent how much money on his uh, on his presidential run so far in in the, you know the primaries? He's got a lot of money, so he could bring he could write his own check. That's so true. Trump's not you know Trump's a businessman. He'd be like, hey, maybe this guy will run and he'll join my ticket and spend three hundred million dollars. Not the dumbest idea in the world, honestly. <laughs> Neat. Bottom line for me is I am not ready for Vivek to leave the national stage because I could I could listen to him talk pretty much. I don't all think day. he will. I don't think he will either. I, mean, I think this was just his first little foray as more. To Josh's point, though, I saw someone was saying as a pro for Nikki Haley is that she gets the most super PAC funds. I was like, nah, these nah, people nah. have not learned a single thing. Nah, <laughs> the nah. whole Trump campaign was, I am not bought and paid for. I run by myself. And people like, oh, well, look, all these super PAC people love Nikki Haley. I was like, that is not a plus. I don't Who Who is that a yeah, plus to? Just, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's just the war machine. You know, all the people who get money from Boeing want, want uh, Nikki Haley because she likes to bomb other countries. But uh, no, I don't. And by the way, Trump came out this week and he's like, no, no, no. He said Nikki Haley wasn't presidential timber. And he goes, by the way, that means, you know, not for vice president either. And so that kind of put, mm -hmm. a, I think, to to bed a lot of these rumors that he might pick her, which is a relief to me. If if you know, there is thought that Donald Trump would consider uh, a female running mate. Uh, you know, there's some people, maybe Elise Stefanik. She's a congressman from New York. Others have suggested South Dakota Governor uh, Christy Noem. But I'd like to put out another potential dark horse that people aren't thinking about enough. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who served Trump as press secretary, and she's done a great job and she can communicate flawlessly. She was just on, I think it was CBS uh, Face the Nation, and just had a great soundbite talking about the, the contrast. He goes, you'll basically have two presidents running and you'll be able to compare the, you know, the first term of Trump to the, to the, first, term, uh, the first term of Biden. And the voters will have an excellent opportunity to make a decision on who they think would be best to lead the country for the next four years. And she's really good at that kind of contrast. She can cut through a lot of the BS. I think she'd be a good potential. So keep your eyes and on I'd that. And I'd love to. I'd love to see her against Kamala on the stage too. Well, that would be that's, also that's a low bar. Very satisfying. I, someone matchup. with a standard IQ and a decent vocabulary could probably destroy but Kamala Harris on the stage. Funding her campaign. But, uh, Erica, question then for you: If you could have an ideal, what what kind of characteristics would you want to see in a potential VP? Who do you, who are you thinking about? Yeah, I I think ideal world, I would want to go Ron DeSantis. A uh, DeSantis Trump for me would be 
ideal. I don't know if that how realistic that is. Um, you mean Trump again, DeSantis, but yeah, a Trump DeSantis. So did I say? Hey, DeSantis wishful thinking. Trump? That was wishful thinking. <laughs> saying. Uh, although Trump as VP would be absolutely insane. But um, I think, uh, yeah, for me, DeSantis just for the future of the country. Even JD Vance, I would love to see a solid leader, tr proven track record. I feel like Trump could, if it was DeSantis, Trump could be the wild card. He could, you know, do his cute little way that he talks and everyone goes wild and all that. And then DeSantis behind the scenes could actually be getting stuff done. Um, and that for me would be an ideal lineup. Again, given Trump's sort of lackluster, oh, thanks, Ron, you know, you did a good job this race. I don't know how likely that is actually to happen. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about the dark horse, though, Huckabee Sanders. I, that had not crossed my mind, Josh. She's not on the radar, really. So if if we're going to go mm. female, and I, I'm not a fan of this whole, like, we need a female. Like, I just want someone qualified. I don't care what sex She's great, are. though. Yeah, Not but she own. is. She's really great. But for uh, me, I did. I, I have seen, uh, for example, shout out Daniel Peters, first one in the chat. Oh, yeah. But uh, Lee Zeldin, Ben Carson, Chrissy Noem. I, I get the Lee Zeldin talk because I think someone said somewhere that it would be someone from New York. I think either he himself or Don Jr. was talking about that. Chrissy Noem, I've seen that thrown around. I would like to remind everyone she was horrible on the gender stuff in North Dakota. I agree. And she basically had to yeah. tuck her tail because people told her. You know, this is a terrible idea, but mm -hmm. I don't forget stuff like that. It'd be like if uh, I'm not suggesting from I'm Ohio, I, I'm I know you're not, Josh. I'm talking about Daniel Peters here is suggesting that I've, <laughs> I've actually seen a lot of other people and you know, we, we do a live show now. We got some interaction, uh, but yeah, I've seen other people kind of bring it up and I have not forgotten that about Chrissy. No, I know that she's kind of exciting and Trump likes to surround himself with uh, rather uh, good looking women, but uh, it's just someone said Trump always has good looking women he puts around him and then people that he can outshine. So Mike Pence was right. ideal because Mike Pence is just nice guy. He'll shake the hands, whatever. Mike Pence was never going to outshine Trump. Uh, Lee Zeldin's kind of an interesting potential. I know the New York um, combination, but yeah, I think well, the ideal would be Ron DeSantis in my opinion. For Trump, Vivek would also be good because he's a very good spokesman mm -hmm. and he never tries to outshine Trump. I mean, that was the whole point of his Super campaign. deferential. Yeah. Yeah. People just felt like even when he's running for president, Vivek was always like, as long as it's OK, Mr. Trump, I'm going to I'm going to say this. <laughs> I always felt like it was deferential, even though they're both running for the same position. So I some would, people I were saying that he almost planted him like Trump planted oh, yeah. Vivek and to basically just uh, wreck people and then drop out. Happened than that. Yeah, I would very true. That. Uh, okay, so this is kind of a Josh is licking his chops in this segment. We have a mailbag question submitted, uh, and we have been called something we have not been called before. So I'm going to read it out for everyone. Uh, so probably I could dig this up somewhere, but I'm not sure where to. So I asked the master trio my question. Master trio. Thanks. Master uh, trio. Hypothetically speaking, if the new ballot for November is set and there are two elderly men on said ballot, Trump and Biden, for instance, you know, who knows? Uh, what is the official protocol if one of those candidates has a health event and makes them unable to serve? It's not out of the realm of possibility. Both of the potential candidates are up there in age. Does it go to the prospective committee, the DNC or RNC to select the candidate for election day? Just curious if anyone can answer this question. Thanks. Keep up the good work. God bless. Robin S. Nashville, Tennessee. Shout out, Robin. Thank you for submitting this. So the question was if it was after election day or before it doesn't matter really i guess but i guess i answer both if if biden unfortunately we actually had, had a event. weird situation like this when i was uh, growing up in minnesota where the candidate was running for governor was disgraced and he was booted basically took himself out of contention like days before the election and then the party scrambled and picked somebody and everyone just voted for that candidate but when it comes to the president of the united states it's an interesting operation you're actually not really even voting for the presidential candidate. I mean, it's kind of weird. Like, so in Michigan, I'll come and there'll be Joe Biden and Donald Trump, right? And if you vote for Donald Trump, you're technically voting for, you know, 14 men and women who are going to cast their ballot for Donald Trump in the Electoral College. So imagine the scenario, um, you know, let's say the day after the election, the results come pouring in and then Joe Biden, let's say, dies or the other candidate. Well, December 15th is when all the electors congregate in their state capitals and cast their ballots. So if, you know, if you if it's New York state and Biden won, won New York state, but he's he has died, 
those electors don't have to vote for Joe still. They could just vote for, because Kamala will be sworn in as president because he'll die before his term's over. And they'll vote for uh, Kamala Harris for president. And then she'll say, and by the way, my running mate will be, and she'll pick somebody, you know, who knows, someone not from California. And that will be the new ticket. It'll be, let's say, Kamala Harris and... Um, I don't know who's the who's another horror AOC just to oh, pick a name. No, don't say that. <laughs> and so then all the Democratic <laughs> electors from states that we want will vote for Kamala Harris oh. and AOC, right? Now the let's say girl boss ticket. Let's say let's say it's a catastrophic event where like literally Trump and Biden were gonna shake hands and you know there was a terrorist attack and they both like, died. Well, in that case, again, the all the Republican electors would gather in their state. In, in their state capitals and they would vote, you know, the, the RNC would say, well, you know, we're going to go with Vivek because that was the guy that Trump had wanted as his running mate, let's say. Okay. And so then they all vote for Vivek Ramaswamy and Ramaswamy says, you know what? I want DeSantis as my running mate, you know, whatever. And so then they all vote for that. And then the, on January 6th, you might've heard of that day before 2025, <laughs> the house and the Senate will, you know, receive these votes and then they'll, certify the election results and that's what happens okay Not have bad. you guys seen the show designated survivor yeah i did i loved it actually. i watched that, that. yeah it was a kind of fun someone was like you have to watch the show it was super adamant it might have even been you josh can't remember and i was disappointed everyone was like this is the greatest show ever it was like truly... the first five episodes were really fun yeah, yeah but first, the, first the effects age so bad i like couldn't do it like it, it, I'm sure that there's, I just could not get past the effects were so bad. I was disappointed. If there's any designated survivor fans out, out there, I apologize. I just couldn't do it. There's been some really bad, you know, emergency case show, like movies and shows about like the white house going down, like white house down, uh, was who was that with? It was like a B list actor. Unbelievably bad. Yeah. Gerard, he like killed everyone with a pistol. He like went through the entire, all the terrors gone with a pistol. I was like, how many shots could possibly be in, be in a pistol there? Anyway, sorry, that's really off topic, but yeah, that that's yes, your answer, uh, Robin S. We got to keep it, <laughs> we got to keep it moving. Uh, I pray. Can we all just say a quick prayer that Kamala Harris and AOC never run together? Uh, that would be, that would be White House down basically if that ever happened. So. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. This is a good question though. That just came up. Um, this is a, we talk about this sometimes, but DeSantis can't be vice president, right? Because both president and vice president can be from the same state. So good question, but we're early enough in no, the campaign. No, yeah. It's not, Go for it. not quite true. They can be Go from ahead, the Josh. same state. They can. The 11th uh, amendment places a penalty uh, what it says is that electors, you know, we have electors from each of the 50 states as well as D.C. Electors cannot vote for a candidate for president that's the same state as the uh, and vice president if they're the same state as they are. So if Donald Trump decides to pick Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump remains a citizen of Florida, the 30 electors in Florida can still vote for Donald Trump for president. And every other state, he could win 49 states, let's say, and they all they all vote for Trump. But the electors from Florida would be prohibited from voting for both Trump and DeSantis if they're both from Florida, because they would both be from the same state as they are. So everyone in every other state could vote for both of those candidates. Only Florida electors couldn't cast a ballot for both. So they could vote for Trump, 30, all 30 of, them, 30 of them vote for Trump, and then they, they, they would have to vote for some other candidate for vice president. They could like write in, you know, Christy Noem or something like that. Oh, Why does that matter? Well, I I am legally able to run and I'm not a Floridian, but <laughs> the problem would then be is if then let's say Trump has exactly 200 and let's say 82 votes and he's president, but then DeSantis wouldn't have 282 electoral votes. He would have like 252 and the Democrat wouldn't have 270 either. So that election would be kicked over to the, the Senate. And if the Senate is still run by the Democrats, they could elect Kamala Harris to be vice president again. So you would have Trump as president and Kamala Harris as vice president. Disaster. So mm -hmm. how do you fix this? You, if Trump really does want Ron DeSantis as, as his running mate, then he flies up to New Jersey. He has a house in Belvedere, New Jersey, and he switches his registration and becomes a citizen of New Jersey. And it's taken care of. It's actually quite simple. That's what happened in 2000. 
Dick Cheney was uh, a citizen of Texas at the time because he'd been he'd been he had represented I, um, Wyoming in Congress from like 1989 to 96 you know, or something like that or whatever it was. And then he lived in Dallas. He worked for Halliburton for the war machine. And then Trump or George W. Bush, he's governor. He's like, hey, could you, you know, do help me figure out who I should have as my running mate? And he came up with a list of a bunch of candidates. And then at the end, Bush is like, yeah, I just want you. And Cheney's like, um, OK. Then he hopped on a plane, flew to Wyoming, registered, you know, because he still had a house up there and became a citizen, citizen of Wyoming. No problem. Yeah, this is kind of like the equivalent of in high school sports, there'd be kids from different school districts and they would like, oh, well, I have a P.O. box in, you know, this county so I can play for this rival high school. And everyone's kind of looking at each other like we kind of know what's going on here. Right. Like, this, is, this, <laughs> yeah. this isn't really above board, but we're all going to be like, well, he's a good running back. So we'll, just we'll like these t-ball right. teams. That, oh, I'm sure that kid's really 13. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> older, <laughs> but yeah. The red shirts. Those are the red shirts. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean. It's it's just a penalty that is at the end of the day it would be taken care of long before the voting were started. So yeah, uh, man, what a what a swing and a miss on Dick Cheney. Eh? He did indeed make money off the yeah. Iraq War. But uh, we move on now. So this is kind of fun. The Loopcast actually took a little bit of a field trip uh, with the rest of Catholic Vote here. So we actually went to Saint Augustine, Florida, uh, La Florida, as I've been told, uh, is the region of the country. It's basically the east side east coast of florida so the atlantic side and i learned a lot and i'd have to say this is re a real journey of self-discovery for my misinformation my my protestant misinformation came coming from my education and we got an amazing tour of uh this this place they call it the sacred acre it, it, it's home to uh statues of our lady of la leche the first catholic mass in america was said there uh, it was actually discovered before a lot of people are like oh columbus discovered america no uh, the Spanish were there before that. Uh, Menendez okay, was there. Bro, bro, bro. The first mass that was celebrated in what would become the United States. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm, yeah. and it, the Spanish didn't come before Columbus. What are you talking about? Yeah, they did. I think I he means so, right? the Vikings. The Vikings, buddy. You're going to talk about the no, Vikings? I, mean, like I love the Vikings. They discovered the North America. Landed, the Spanish landed in Florida in 1565. That's 70 years after Columbus. What are you talking about, bro? <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to move on. So basically they were talking about how, uh, his journey of self-discovery continues. Journey of self-discovery continues. But <laughs> what I found interesting, they landed was, there before the Mayflower. You're not going to let that's me. That's true. You're not going to let me, you're not going to let me talk about what I want to talk about. Or are you just going to keep talking? I'm trying okay. to save your brother. Go All ahead. right. Well, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'd like to discuss what I learned. So, uh, okay. we went to St. Augustine and they were talking about the differences between the mission territory in California and mission territory in La Florida, again, this East coast of Florida. And what I found was that the Spanish being Catholic actually brought Christianity to a lot of these, uh, Indian tribes, and they were more receptive to the message of Christ because they already had a belief system in one God. So when they came, they were like, look, you know, we actually have access to God through his son, Jesus Christ, who's a human being, many of these Indian tribes were very receptive to that message. So shout out to the Franciscans. Franciscans really did a, a number converting a lot of these Indian tribes. And what was interesting was the Indians themselves, they actually built churches in the middle of their uh, towns, town, tribe, whatever you like to call it, uh, centering that around life. They actually removed what was there before and they built a church there, often erecting these large crosses to uh, be assigned to missionaries that, hey, you know, we're friendly to this message. We're friendly to Christianity. And the Franciscans were actually very successful with converting a lot of them. But uh, the difference being in Californian mission territory, uh, the Christians actually erected a lot of churches over there and they had Indians come from where they were in their tribes, basically having to betray their people to come become Christians and live in these communities, much more divisive uh, rather than the Florida model, which was, uh, received pretty organically, seemingly, from a lot of these Indian tribes. And uh, this was a cool opportunity that I learned about, but there were these martyrs, uh, Appalachian martyrs. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this, but Antonio uh, Cupa, uh, he's also kind of known as Inja, Anina. Uh, uh, I'm bad at Spanish, but it's it's a uh, noble leader. And uh, there was about 50 of these braves from the Appalachian na nation that uh would go around converting other Indian tribes because they had already been raised in this Franciscan tradition, uh, Christian tradition. 
And this, this Antonio specifically was gifted uh, with speech as a leader, a deep piety, devotion to St. Joseph. Like if you walked around the grounds, there's a lot of St. Joseph statues, a lot of St. Francis statues, which was very cool. And uh, they were actually martyred by the British because, I mean, the British, man, just the worst. Like I, they were like, Did well, they come across well. No, no, the Brits were not chill. And Mm-mm. they ended up uh, martyring uh, this man first. And they thought the best way to do it would be to, to crucify him, put him on a cross just like his his God, like his leader. And they had a fire under the cross. Uh, they were sticking the, the uh, spears into the fire and then sticking it into his side, uh, keeping him sustained basically so that they could. And then covering up the wounds with the heat so that he would be able to suffer for a long, long time. He actually received a vision uh, from Mary. And Mary actually said to him, look into my eyes. This is uh, Antonio. Uh, And he had a, like before his death, this amazing moment where he called out to the rest of his braves who were kneeling there, having to watch him be crucified saying, you know, stay strong brothers. Like we're going to, we're going to heaven. I see her. I'm looking into her eyes. And so their cause for canonization is up right now. We learned about it from this amazing doctor there. And so uh, we got to kind of be a part of that. We got to pray for them. Uh, We got to have mass in one of the oldest uh, churches in America, oldest chapels in America. Um, Just a really cool experience. But I think it was really shattering my conception of how uh, missionaries came to America. I think I really internalized the narrative of like they came over with diseases and killed all the Indians. And that was it. Uh, or the Christians came and they abused all the Indians. That was it. Uh, go look up to this uh, La, La Farida part of the country. It was a really amazing uh, relationship between these Spaniards and the Indians and the ability of the Franciscans to really be successful. Eventually, most of that was wiped out by the Brits because they're Protestant and the worst. But uh, they actually had to tear down this chapel and rebuild it because the Brits were storing gunpowder in this chapel. Yeah, we got to pick up. Thanks, Nighthawk. Oh, uh, also, we have someone giving us uh, uh, help with visuals here. Uh, his real name's Scott. He said, call me Nighthawk. So we'll see what I call him. But he pulled up the shrine here. Uh, it's America's oldest shrine, Our Lady of La Leche in St. Augustine, Florida. Our Lady of La Leche, actually, interestingly, is a uh, beautiful image of Our Lady breastfeeding Jesus, which I'm some people we were talking to was like, oh, this is a little bit weird. You know, we see like the Virgin Mary's breasts is like, how do you feel about that? I was like, honestly, I don't know if it's just because the stage of life I'm in, but it's really beautiful. Like Jesus was fully human. And like, that is the way that women connected and fed their children since the beginning of time. Um, so Our Lady of the Leche is also super powerful as well. Um, it actually, uh, these moms in the fifties and our, the president of Catholic vote has a weird connection to it, but started the La Leche League, which many of you may be familiar with. Um, it's a way to encourage breastfeeding as a natural option for women during a time when big pharma basically psyoped everyone into saying the only way to feed children is formula, which uh, is not true. Spoiler, uh, <laughs> not true. Well, and that was so, just an attempt to get drive women into the workforce. Right. Well, as part of that whole second wave feminism. Which I got a great GK Chesterton quote this morning. Oh, man. Just come on. Man. That was so good. <laughs> Do you have oh, it? this is St. Augustine. It is nice. It is neat. Like you mentioned the chapel there too. And it's like the oldest continuously occupied settlement of European origin in the contiguous United States. Yeah. Really cool. And I'm a fan of Our Lady of La Leche. When, uh, when it was announced we were going to go there for our mid-year meeting, being very pregnant at this point, I'm like on the end of my rope here, guys. But, uh, but being there was really special. So anyone who's struggling with fertility, struggling with breastfeeding, which has never been terribly easy for me personally, uh, you look it up. It's a great devotion and, and super comforting. So, yeah, there's the chapel. It's Thank you, Nighthawk. There's like, you know, you ask, like, what are the most obnoxious or, you know, angry Facebook arguments? It always seems to be about, like, this kind of breastfeeding stuff. And people go <laughs> yeah. off on it. And, like, I think part of it is just that we live in a, very protestant puritan view which is like sex is you know shameful i mean i don't i don't think we should talk about it all the time but there's to me nothing weird or you know sexy about a woman breastfeeding of a kid and if you freak out about it i think you're the one that's weird so like mm-hmm. statues yeah, of Mary breastfeeding right Jesus, there. that's that no. makes sense like yeah like that's what breasts are for right well, like uh, that's what's the natural cool part Another cool part about Our Lady of La Leche was many uh, people in Spain have a strong devotion to her because she saved many mothers and children during uh, horrible plagues in Spain. 
And so it's really believed that these these medals that you can get blessed uh, are Lady of the Leche medals. You can hand them out to expectant mothers because that's just like an ancient uh, devotion to. Just, yeah. Another you know, reminder of, of, as you say, mother, you know, Mary's motherhood. You know, she is yeah. a human mm -hmm. and Jesus is human, too. He took human form. And it's it's a reminder that we have a God who condescended, right? The big condescension decides to enter human history, doesn't do it as a 40 year old king. He does it as an infant king, a totally dependent king who depends on the queen mother to take care of him like this. And that's awesome. I love it. It yeah, is and awesome. Another part of St. Augustine, man, just chock full of meaning. They were talking about the the name Sacred Acre that it got. And JFK, I believe, either visited or was going to visit. And he died was there a few days later. A week before he died. He, died. After yeah. he visited this place. And the bishop at the time, Bishop Hurley, this was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And that area was super hot because as a very, very close to Cuba. And there was actually different hangers hidden within the Everglades to potentially have to defend against a nuclear warhead coming over our head. And Bishop Hurley at the time had, had everyone pray to Our Lady basically to save uh, America, save Florida from it. And many people there in that region, uh, many Catholics truly believed that like they were saved from the Cuban Missile Crisis by Our Lady. I mean, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of the Americas. So really uh, chock full of so much American history and uh, different Catholic history. So it, it, honestly, being there was a very, it felt very spiritual because we were doing our uh, meetings and retreat on a place where a lot of uh, graves were as well. It was kind of a grave site uh, that the mass, the, the church there was beautiful. It was, I don't know how to describe it. If you ever get the chance, it's really you guys moving. Go. Um, yeah, skip Disney, skip Disney world and go to, uh, go to St. Augustine. Seriously. Yeah. The fountain of youth sure. too. Well, that's a tourist trap <laughs> uh, and uh, no more Protestant propaganda. I think that's more of just a Hollywood thing, kind of turning it into that. But yeah. the Fountain of Youth was not as big of a story as we've now made it to believe so much of this was just Spanish settlement in America. So, yeah, cool place. Definitely recommend checking it out. I learned a lot. Anyway, we move on now. Today is the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And we actually, funny enough, at this retreat, we got a, uh, a homily from our chaplain about uh, the surest sign of the Holy Spirit in you is joy. And how for so long, you know, we thought I thought it was going to be marching forever before we ever, I, I didn't even think Roe v. Wade would ever get returned. I mean, overturned personally. And to be in a place now where that has happened is something to be uh, just really joyful about. We have a lot of work ahead of us, but just that first step, I think is huge. And to see guys like uh, Jim Harbaugh show up at the March for Life. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. Saying, you know, you're setting a great example. Keep it up. Uh, such a champion, you know? I mean, shout out to all the U of M fans out there, but uh, Harbaugh has been great on the pro-life stuff. So just shout out to anyone who went to the pro uh, March for Life this year. Uh, it's a anniversary of Rose is a big day for the pro-life movement. And so, of course, the White House took that and uh, is going into overdrive now about <laughs> more ways to kill children, which is just crazy to say that out loud. That, But anyway, that's where we're at right now. Right. Yeah. Kamala Harris, she did the uh, the speaking tour this weekend, started off on The View, my favorite women's show. I mean, the gift that keeps on giving, talking about how with the overturn of Roe, women's lives are in danger. And then, of course, the White House, they put out a long statement about the tragedy of the death of Roe. Awkward phrasing there. But um, the, the statement, nothing surprising. And I know, Josh, we were talking about this before the show, just, you know, we've talked about this so much, but I think the White House statement today really does set the agenda for what we can expect from the radical pro-abortion extremist um, agenda in the next, over the next few months going toward the election. And what really stood out to me, number one, they're really pushing for the contraception. So in, in understanding here, they're not just talking like more condoms for people, but when they when they say contraception, that almost inevitably includes abortifacients. Um, so we're talking about pushing abortifacients uh, and availability on women everywhere. The second priority, the chemical abortion drugs, mifepristone, misoprostol, 
And these are currently the FDA's rushed approval of mifepristone back in the early, um, the late or mid 90s to early 2000s, that that really rushed approval of it to the detriment of mothers, uh, always the detriment of the child, obviously who dies, but also to the detriment of women who are taking this dangerous drug. Um, but the Biden administration just going full hog uh, to push chemical abortion drugs everywhere. And then the third. The third priority that was that was really emphasized in this document today um, was, I'm going to quote, the administration is committed to helping ensure all patients, including women who are experiencing pregnancy loss, miscarriage, and other pregnancy-related emergencies, have access to emergency medical care required under the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, or EMTALA. The reason this one really stood out to me is that we just saw a challenge in the Fifth Circuit Court, I believe it was the Fifth Circuit, um, they just rejected the Biden administration's attempt to use EMTALA, which is meant to save lives in the emergency room, to force doctors and nurses to perform abortions on women who come in um, who are pregnant. And the court rejected this. The Biden administration has sworn to challenge it all the way to the Supreme Court. We don't know if the Supreme Court will hear it yet, but for them to put this in their official statement that the Biden administration is committed to this uh, narrative that, well, after the death of Roe, after Dobbs, we now have women who are having miscarriages who have to have an abortion going into emergency rooms and they're dying of sepsis. This was Kamala Harris's like whole monologue on the view is they're dying of sepsis and they're never able to have children again because these doctors aren't being forced to give them abortions and just the 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 cognitive dissonance going on with this is astonishing but also the hubris that they can totally um, ignore the conscience rights of doctors and physicians in these situations. And furthermore, blaming states that have abortion restrictions, so-called, um, for the death of women having miscarriages. I mean, Kamala was like, it's the law, it's, it's these pro-life extremists. When in fact, there is nothing in any of these state restrictions that forbids treatment of miscarriage. When of course. When that yeah, when Dobbs first dropped, I went through and I read every single state that had a trigger law, and I have gone through every single state that has passed the law so far. Every single abortion restriction includes clear language to doctors that this does right. not cover ectopic pregnancy, this does not cover miscarriage, and for her to go on there and continue to push this false this falsehood that. We are killing women with pro-life laws is absolutely yeah. unconscionable. I would say the vice president knows she's lying, doesn't care absolutely. if she's lying. And the <laughs> view hosts know she's lying and don't care that she's lying. They think it's a useful lie that will try to tell people these pro-lifers don't care about babies and they don't care about women either. It's all just a, it's all just a smoke screen to try to convince people that the pro-lifers are evil. That's all yeah. that matters. Hey, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really important because these are conversations and these are accusations that come up in our workplace. They come up around our family holiday tables that, well, you don't care about women with miscarriages. It is so important that we as Catholics be equipped to shut that down. You have to be able to say that is an absolute falsehood. We've got the receipts um, and to just shut it down. Don't turn it as well. You know, I feel like there would be exceptions. No, just say that's lie. That's a lie. Yeah. None of these laws <laughs> speak to that. Yeah. It kind of goes back to that compassion thing. Like, right. We have activists, Kamala Harris, the view activists, right? There's, there's no, <laughs> they're not like normal Americans having conversations about this, but, but that kind of language trickles down it to does. people who aren't activists. So unless it's like aggressively countered, then people will believe that to be true. I mean, really anyone I think that has a middle of the road kind of a little bit liberal mindset, they hear that and they're like, oh, well, we need, you know, it needs to be abortions. But no, I'm, I'm done about it. Crown. The funny thing about it too is that it's like not even like, I mean, it's college freshman level tactics that they're throwing. Like it's so junior varsity. Like they're like, oh, then women can't get miscarriage covers they need. Like, wait, what? I mean, I get a discussion about like, this most extreme exception in this horrible situation. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And it's like, we're not even having that discussion. I mean, we are, but then they're throwing out stuff. It's like, you want to just, you want to, you want to lose your mind. You're like, 
well, you don't want women to, you know, to get the appropriate care they need if they have a miscarriage. So what? non -sequitur. There's not a human in the United States that wants to make it illegal for a woman to have care for a miscarriage. What do you, what are you smoking? But yeah. it's the Democratic Party, they probably are smoking something. My goodness. <laughs> uh, did you read through the, the Rubio memo, Erica? I did. Yeah, I read through uh, Senator Rubio. Um, he also sort of the anti-White House statement on Friday ahead of the march. He he released a pro-life state. What does it mean to be pro-life? And he really outlined an agenda for um, politicians, uh, not for politics, for policymakers, politicians, elected officials, what should be our top three priorities uh, after Roe. And, and I thought it was, he did such a great job um, as he is want to do. But first priority, of course, um, is family law that supports uh, supports the choice for life. It supports women and couples, families who are faced with <clears throat> a pregnancy that's unexpected or that has a difficult diagnosis, but that we actually have policies in place. Not This is not a libertarian approach, right? This is that we actually have, we're using the resources of the state at the service of mothers. And I loved that section because he called it that a false choice, right? A false choice between motherhood and opportunity that progressives present to women. Um, and he says we have to we have to break that down. Second priority, he wants to focus on exposing the truth of abortion extremism. And this is so important because it's a conversation that many progressives are still uh, it's it's hard to admit. Yeah, I support abortion up until after birth for any reason. Um, but he wants to really expose that and inform people about abortion, which is what we're trying to do here. And then, of course, uh, this was the third point was really good, too, because I think it gets lost, but that we have to make the moral core of the pro-life movement is protecting unborn humans. Uh, so while we, we want to care for them both, make more babies, Elon Musk, thank you. Uh, <laughs> have, which actually, I want to ask you guys what you think about that in a second. But in protecting, but protecting life is the moral core of. Oh, look at the baby on the screen! Thanks, Nighthawk. <laughs> My baby's actually kicking really hard right now. He's a fan. He's like hear oh, Mark yeah. Rubio. Yeah. Um, so again, uh, thanks to Marco Rubio for really standing out there and giving us an outline of practical steps. So. Yeah, I feel like we're playing a little bit of Where's Waldo right now. I'm I'm being a little bit cute <laughs> with this, but uh, somewhere in this video, this this program is featured, is what I was told. Yeah, there's a little loop cast. It's at 125 to be specific. The senator's video. 125. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tom Foco uh, shows up. Bam! Yeah. <laughs> Go, Tom! <laughs> you made Tom it. Mark Maybe you two should right play racquetball, or what is? I'll link that in the show notes. Everyone can go watch Pogo on Senator Rubio's promo video there. What up, cool guy? Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, Josh. What were you saying? Well, I mean, I do think Rubio's good to try to come up with some creative legislative ideas, you know, after Roe to try to, you know, make it easier for uh, families and, and moms to say yes to life. I think that's great. Um, over the weekend, I got an advanced copy of my friend Tim Carney's book, Unfriendly America, where he just goes through so many aspects of American life. And he doesn't just talk about policy stuff, but he does talk about policy. But he talks about, you know, all, all these other things that we can do to try to make it so that our culture and our families and our communities uh, are pro-family. Uh, I'm looking forward to diving into that for, in future Loopcasts. But uh, I, I echo what Ruby was talking about, we need to make it, we need to change the the law to make it easier for moms to say yes. And we need it. We need a stronger, more pro-family culture, a stronger pro-family uh, uh, tax code. Uh, Amen. So kudos. All right, Erica, Twilight Zone, and you are up first. Oh boy, here comes Twilight Zone. Uh, so I'm going to go with the World Health Organization director showed up at Davos, uh, the World Economic Forum. They all met at Davos in Switzerland uh, last week, and some of you might have Wait, seen. Did you, you did you get an invite? Did I get an invite to Davos? Yeah. No, I did not this time. I'm excited for next year, though. Kevin <laughs> Roberts from Heritage Foundation did, though, as did our friend Javier Millet, the president, libertarian president of Argentina. And they were able to bring a little bit of light to a very dark corner of the world. So that was fun to watch them. I'm going to link their speeches in the show notes because, oh, man, they just ripped into these guys. But just a quick 
WEF 101 for the listeners. Why should you care? So the World Economic Forum was founded by a man named Klaus Schwab. You might have heard of him. Uh, Klaus is an economist, engineer from Germany, made billions and billions of dollars. And he started this World Economic Forum, the goal of which is sort of to remake the world uh, in cooperation with the global elites. So he brings together what he calls a synergy. Scary word, it sounds like synodal. But synergy is kind of the <laughs> synodal buzzword of the World Economic Forum. Um, but we have mega corporations. We have the heads of state from, from governments all over the world. Uh, we've got NGOs, top academics and scientists and leaders. And you'll see people there like Fauci and you'll see people there like, uh, you know, the Chinese Communist Party. Some of those heads of states are there. A lot of and private jets. A lot of private jets, except for Javier Millet, who showed he flew commercial. It was he did. Awesome. It was so special. <laughs> Got a little selfie there. I was like, hey, that looks like where I was last week. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so my, <laughs> my twilight zone is... The World Health Organization director, because um, tons of UN guys, right? And his name, I'm going to butcher it. The director general, Tedros Ghebreyesus, Ghebreyesus um, he showed up at the World Health, the, at the WEF, and he called upon countries to sign on to the UN's pandemic treaty. The pandemic treaty is how we are going to prepare for, quote, disease X. And disease X is the next COVID, which will be he said 90% more fatal than, yeah, there it is. There's the owl. It's going to come from the birds apparently. So we've, we've lost many people, he said, during COVID because, and here's the key, we couldn't manage them. And this is why the WEF matters to you and your children and your grandchildren because their goal as the global elites is to manage you and your life and to sign treaties so that the next time and he said, it's not a matter of if, but when. The next time we get a global pandemic, the United States, in collaboration with all these massive governments and global elites, they have a protocol in place to manage you and to control you and to tell you when you can go to mass, to tell you when you can mm -hmm. have bodily autonomy, when you have to take the shot, et cetera. And Again, this it seems like, oh, they're so far away in Davos, Switzerland. This isn't going to affect me, blah, blah, blah. What is she talking about? But these are, these are policies that have real-world consequences. And we're fortunate to live in the United States where we can live under this sort of, you know, false assumption that this will never come to us and affect us. If you were in a Latin American country, if you were in the EU, you would already be seeing the effects of men like the director general of the World Health Organization and their ideas about what's best for you controlling your life. And um, that's why Nighthawk? it matters. Nighthawk, what's Nighthawk, up? Can I put in a request? Uh, there is a new strain. It's not of COVID, but they've mutated a certain disease to kill mice with 100% kill rate. They're saying this is the next disease X. Can I put in a Google request for that? <laughs> Awesome. I like Nighthawk. This is fun. So that's my Twilight Zone. We should put Don't in the show notes uh, that clip by Kevin Roberts, head of heritage, yes. who made that he this great speech and just basically said, "I'm here to say you guys stink, like <laughs> yeah. <was> terrible," <laughs> and it was great. Why and did I they invite him? I want to give a little Catholic boat shout out because let me tell you something, Kevin Roberts. Uh, this is about uh, 12 years ago. He had started a group called Catholic Families for America, and it was ostensibly a, a group to try to get Catholics engaged in the political process, tell them about what's going on, about the issues. And he and, and then he came to us. and He said, I looked at what you guys are doing at Catholic Vote and you're doing it better. I'd like to merge with you guys. I said, great. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. And he went on to go to a, to greater heights. He went to Wyoming Catholic College. Then he went to the Texas Public Policy Center, I think it's called. And now he's had a heritage. So it's like. True you know, hero. Just True hero. Like, the, I, but I have to say though, like the the humility. You know, that was it was it was quite an honor that he said that. But it's like just the humility to say, why am I doing this? This other place is doing it better, and maybe God's got something else for me in store. It w must have been what he was thinking, and it did. And uh, kudos. I'm not obviously. I think it's kind of cool for us to get the vote, but I also just mean it. Like that's a, a great moment for someone. That's leadership. 
And uh, leadership involves a lot of humility. And I think yeah, he's got that speed. So that's where shout out to Kevin. For sure. It's like if you have that collaborative spirit and you're just looking for excellence, like that's how you get to where those kind of heights and to throw a middle finger at the WF is pretty awesome. I don't know why <laughs> on their own stage. Him. Well, why so they every, him, why they no, invite so Javier every year, every year they invite two or three token normal people to come and share the normal, <laughs> like the average person's perspective. Let's listen to the and they just, I think they were all sitting there like this was the wrong normal guy to invite as they're listening to him go through. We'll this. Have to right. like, that. Right, guy next year. Update. <laughs> Mercer's up. N- Night Nighthawk has the disease. Okay, Nighthawk. What do we got? Like What's idea. disease X? There it is. China. Okay. Oh, great, China. Okay, the strain is 100% fatal in mice. Uh, the paper has not yet been peer reviewed, and the study is raising fears of a lab leak. So basically, all the main questions you'd have as to uh, number one, why do they create Must be this? presidential election cycle? I mean, they don't have a good reason for why they created it. Uh, they also have other scientists talking about how this is. Uh, morally reckless and dangerous if it escapes they're like do you have any protocols in case this gets anywhere they basically said no so like what are we doing here guys (laughs) what 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 would possess someone to try to create something with a hundred percent kill rate and then test it on these mice i think the mice are like mutated to have like more human like characteristics or brains or whatever apparently their eyes turn white before they die in a day okay all right (laughs) look i'm deep i'm deep in this stuff because i saw the WHO what would Joy Reid like, say about that? Uh, don't worry, Joy Reid's coming up. Oh, bo- oh, good. <laughs> so uh, I'll get to Joy Reid. I'll get to Joy Reid. Thank you for the for the Google. Uh, don't look it up; it'll scare you. Uh, yeah. So now we have Josh. I believe you are up Twilight Zone. Well, I mean, I I don't know Twilight Zone. I'm just gonna, I think this is kind of neat. The University of Dallas is uh, poised to become the first college to host a permanent convent. Uh, for the Nashville-based Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia. So uh, this congregation has witnessed remarkable growth, 64% uh, since the year 2000. And now they have like 300 sisters with a median age of 36. Um, so, and these these Dominican sisters are involved in, uh, their ministry is education anyway. Uh, and so I, I just think it's, uh, you know, we've seen an explosion in some of these uh, religious orders like this one in, um, based out of Nashville. And there's one I love uh, based in uh, Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist in Ann Arbor. But a major, major uh, shout out to the University of Dallas. And it kind of hurts for me to say this because my boss is a UD guy and we get a little <laughs> I'm a Hillsdale guy. So, but uh, just uh, honest to goodness. A major shout out to the University of Dallas to to letting these sisters establish a a, a permanent convent there on the campus. I think that's let's that's just take a, a what, moment to zoom we in just on. We have this so picture. much negativity in the church and in, in co- our country. Uh, I just this is just like a this news is like a rose. I love it. Mm-hmm. Zoom zoom in on this picture. I mean, can you see a happier group of people right here? I mean, what an amazing. There's nothing better. Than being around joyful religious uh, sisters or brothers. I mean, I've had the pleasure of a few times in my life getting to like on retreats or different things, and uh, the it just seems like there's a moral clarity and peace that comes with when you make that decision to dedicate your life there. You just get yeah. this amazing gift of just joy and simplicity. Like your life is simple, and and <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. So I man, seriously. Uh, we need we we need this more places is all I gotta say. What a great example for the college students as well to be around that. Awesome, awesome. That just makes me so happy. That was a good so, one. Thanks, Josh. That was, you, that was a good pick me up. Good, good uh, palate cleanser. But don't worry, uh, I'll. <laughs> You're gonna take it down. down. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll drag that right back down. Thanks, Post. Say the best for last is up to you. Hmm. Though, so Joy Reed. Okay, we're gonna get to Joy Reed. <laughs> She has a program in which she brings on people of different views to talk about uh, sensitive topics. And she made the mistake of bringing on Tiffany from Mobs for Liberty. Mobs for Liberty is an organization devoted to giving parents at a local level power to control their children's education when it comes to public school. Uh, They've been wildly successful and have been basically the, the best thing I saw was someone made a meme about them. 
and it was like moms for liberty as like a mother bear defending mm-hmm. her cubs and it was like blood on the claws and that was, this was supposed to scare people somehow and it's like okay. it actually probably became their new it was flattering emblem. i mean it was <laughs> yeah. just like wow mom's being affected thanks for the logo children so we have the interview here i'm just gonna run this first clip uh talk about instant instant regret on joy reed for bringing this woman on but uh nighthawk you want to run it saw what some of the content was in the books i mean explicit graphic sexual content and i'm happy to talk about some of that content if you if you'd like to well this is the question again the books that are being banned i want to give you just no some, books hold, are being on, banned. No, hold on a second well no joy but i want to be clear uh-huh. no one's banning books write the book print the book publish the book put the book in the public library sell the book right uh, we're talking about a public school library mm-hmm. children don't have unfettered access to the internet at school mm-hmm. i did a, a foia records request and, and and i wanted to see what kinds of internet sites are banned in schools if we're going to talk about banning right mm-hmm. and, and the subject matter in the books that moms are concerned about are the same things that kids don't have access to on the internet so it, it just feels very hypocritical right no why is no one out there protesting for you know free the internet in schools <laughs> let me let me give you saw what some of the content was so uh, sorry so that was good. we need so to get, good we, i don't know if you can find the other clip scott but basically that's why they hate her <laughs> they hate awesome. her that wasn't even so that wasn't quiet. the worst of it if i could uh mm-hmm. finish the interview basically she's like well you know what if you have a liberal parent who wants to put these kind of perspectives in kids minds and she brought up the book this boy is blue which was a humongous mistake like she could have chosen so many different books but she chose a book in which in uh, kids in the car warning i mean again this is so dumb that we keep having this conversation it's about incestual rape like incestual pedophilic rape of a of a child um with all the explicit graphic it's pornographic i mean marketed to children it is marketed marketed it's put in a library a public library of a school with no input from any of these parents so that's why people are upset but like you could have chosen one that maybe flirts a little bit more at the line this was like choosing the worst possible option she's like well what about this book this boy is blue and then all of a sudden (laughs) she just starts or do this is it right here i mean this is so good yeah all right uh play this one this is it the content in this book so you go through without even having to read the book. I'm going to just hold it up so our audience can see what it looks like. This is the one for All Boys Aren't Blue, which is one of the books Moms for Liberty has. Everyone should go and see the content so in this book. Got it. So what happens <laughs> Everyone is should go. You can do keyword searches and find certain keywords. Like rape. You can find key, yeah. sure. Or anal you, rape or you can, dildo. You can find those, all sorts those of types keywords. Of words. But like wait, hold on. Wait, wait. Let me finish my okay, question. Then great, you can answer. Sure. I'm going to give you time to answer, but okay. I got to ask you first. Oh, yeah. I um, and so what you find is the keywords that you find, the N-word, anything words like you just used but you'll get out of context passages from the book and then based on that moms for liberty members are going to places like broward county school mm-hmm. board meetings reading out of past out of context passages from these books and then demanding that the school board remove them so that context. is the way out of context anal sex. Is, what is the expertise that you have and other Moms for Liberty advocates have to decide that a book, an award-winning book like All Boys Aren't Blue isn't oh, appropriate for students to read. What, what, is a, what a tragic story of a young man who's anally raped by his adult family member. So you have incest, rape, pedophilia. Joy, you said you'd let me answer, so sure. I'm going to answer Please for do. you. Um, in what context is a strap-on dildo acceptable for public school? Just let, I mean, <laughs> yes. That's my question mm-hmm. to you. <laughs> that was uh-huh. <laughs> That yeah, woman. I mean, just uh, this was like a takedown, not even for the language, just put up an explicit warning for how great of a takedown that was. I think she kept bringing up context, out of context, out of context. The, the reason she, I, w- I watched the full interview, she was talking about mm-hmm. how she was trying to pin Moms for Liberty for using this website where they could find basically cliff notes of problematic books, problematic being, I don't know, books about uh, incest and uh, pedophilia. And so she's like, well, people just go to this website and find it Get the and then they points. they go mm-hmm. to the school board meeting and read it off and the best part was what context is like what more context would you need to be like this should not be in front of a child uh, in a book so i mean she went i think she went viral on twitter or x now and for good reason i mean she is like she's a she's just a, she's so calm focused 
She had great answers. She is not someone I would want to come up with in a debate. So I don't know 100%. who put her on that show. I mean, I, I can't and imagine. And now you know why the media hates her. And I, I yeah. think Joy Reid might have fired a couple of people after that because she's like, <laughs> you did not prep me. But it was it was a great interview. I, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Tiffany a couple of weeks ago. That interview is set to drop this week. So it was it was a great, great time. And I was a little more friendly to her than Joy. I just want to like, <laughs> spoiler alert, <laughs> we had a great conversation and she's super poised, very well spoken. And she really is able to dig into the causes of what got us to where we are now and how to get out of it. So watch for that interview this week for sure. Like mama bear in the best sense, like someone that is just not afraid. Like I don't, she doesn't care what people are going to call her, right? Like who cares what Joy Reid says to me? Like I'm protecting my children's innocence and that is the number one priority. It's like we we need more women like that. We need more women that country like that in the country because the mama bears truly are going to save the kids. And I don't want to abdicate the fathers because the fathers need to be involved in this as well. But there's nothing more powerful than seeing like a mom go to their school board meeting, look these you know strangers basically in the eye who make all the decisions in terms of what gets in front of their children and say, you're all disgusting and you should be uh-huh. gone because you're stealing the innocence of my child. There's no excuse for that. No, yeah, excuse. not just my child. I'm concerned about all the children in this town. Right. Exactly. So the, should be. the cool thing about Moms for Liberty is it's very localized. So people often worry, you know, we're too focused on the national level of what's going on. Uh, all these hard decisions are made because we're not paying attention to our local school board elections. That's why we always hammer like, you know, that of course the presidential election is important, but arguably more important is who are we putting in these places of power to be in front of your children or other children in your community? As you mentioned, the answer isn't always, Oh, well, I'm just going to homeschool my children. Problem solved. No, actually you should be at these school board meetings too, being like, I don't want any kid in front of porn. Like this is a cancer on our local society. So she was a great, I, another feather in her cat, man. Another uh, scalp, as Rufo was talking about, I would not get in the way of Moms for Liberty. So uh, that does it for this episode. Thank you for all that have joined uh, on the live. This is a lot of fun. We're going to keep doing this on Mondays at noon. Hopefully keep growing, keep reaching more people. If you have time on your lunch break, come stop by, hang out with us. Uh, If you want to help us out, uh, reviews, subscribe, like on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, shoot us a review there. We really appreciate it. Uh, If you want to talk to me, more mailbag. I'm all for more mailbag. If anyone wants to drop a a question right now in the YouTube comments for us to answer. I'd be happy to feature that in a future episode, or you can email me loopcast at catholicvote.org. Other than that, you know, we always end every show, St. Thomas More, St. Fidelis, and Our Lady Guadalupe. Pray for us, and we will see you guys on the next episode. Peace.